Hello, I'm Mary Spicer, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Behind Fashion. In this unprecedented time, the fashion industry, like so many other industries, is in distress. People around the world have joined together to demand the social justice and racial equality that we all deserve. No industry is exempt, and the hard work continues. I created this series so that we could help support one another as we move forward into this new world in a thoughtful and collaborative manner. I look forward to the sharing of ideas, solutions, and our journeys. Over the next few weeks, I will introduce you to many people behind fashion, from producers to designers, hair and makeup artists, venue managers. During this interview, my son will give me the questions that you send in. And if I can't get to them at the end of this, it's okay. I will reply as soon as possible. If you're viewing this program live or at a later time and have questions for our guest, please email me, mary at jamproductionsco.com. What does the future hold for the fashion industry and how are our roles changing? Let's go behind fashion from shore to shore. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce all of you to Emily Suarez, who is meeting with us from Puerto Rico. Emily was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. Her mother came from Puerto Rico and worked for the Board of Education. Emily is bilingual, fluent in Spanish and English, with knowledge of Italian and French. As she grew up, her love of fashion was brought to her by her family. Her mother worked for a milliner for a time and modeled hats. Her aunt in Puerto Rico is a seamstress and had a tailoring shop where she made her own clothes as well. To Emily, fashion is family. After high school graduation, Emily attended SUNY, uh, majoring in accounting and business administration. After SUNY, she went to FIT and attended classes for design and merchandising. She did work with designers as a design assistant, but when it didn't make enough money, it no longer held interest for her. And she started promoting nightclubs in Brooklyn. Emily returned to FIT and took a course on how to produce fashion shows and brought them both together. Emily started promoting fashion shows at the nightclubs for local stores and boutiques, both in uh, Brooklyn as well as Manhattan. She started working for Barbara Berman in Manhattan as a dresser and a supervisor. After working New York Fashion Week at Bryant Park and doing the front of house, she realized front of house held no interest for her. So she continued to expand her freelance work and started working with companies like LDJ, Moda Tech, and Jack Rich Productions. Emily has worked for many years as the costume manager for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. All the people that you see from the clowns to the balloon handlers. That's Emily. <laughs> she also works in-house during Market Week and in the showrooms for designers like Yves Saint Laurent, Armani, Valentino, Vera Wong, Tom Brown for Paris Fashion Week, Monique Lulier during Bridal Fashion Week in New York, Custo Barcelona, and Daisy Guau during New York Fashion Week among others. She has been an assistant stylist working with many celebrities like Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, 
Jessica and Jerry Seinfeld, Clive Owen, and Edgar Ramirez. She's assisted on music videos and their sets, plus some off-Broadway plays. Welcome, Emily, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind Fashion. I'm so glad that you could join us from Puerto Rico. Oh, I can't hear you yet. Try. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Sorry. I can. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I usually send a, a cup or mug for us to clink glasses, but I don't think it got there yet. Oh, don't worry. I do have a cup. It's not the one you sent, but I did make one for us. Wow, we that's okay, kid. Hey, let's clink glasses. <laughs> You're Thank wonderful. You. And I also have something for you from my backyard. I have a banana since I know you love bananas. From your backyard? They grow in your backyard? Yes, they do. And they're uh, very sweet. I yes. would love one. <gasps> Thank you. Oh my gosh, I absolutely love this and movie magic and I'm really excited to eat this banana. <laughs> it's so good to see you, Emily. Um, we just, you know, haven't seen each other since New York Fashion Week in February. Yes, um, September. Actually, February. February, February. Yeah. I know, a lot has been going on. We're all yeah. wondering what today is. <laughs> Now, as we went over, you have worked with a lot of people. You've worked with Broadway, you've worked with music videos, um, televised events, live shows, runway. Um, as um, an assistant stylist, can you please explain to me what are the differences um, when styling for a live runway, a music video, or even a televised event? Are, there must be differences between those. Yes. Well, when you're working on a runway show, um, styling has to be a little bit simpler than working on a photo shoot because a runway show is a live event and the models only have a certain amount of time to get uh, changed to the different outfit. So uh, it's usually better if the uh, designer does not layer the clothing, overly layer the clothing or um, change too much of the jewelry like earrings or rings or necklaces because the this dresser needs time between the models to change their clothing. And, and people need to uh, remember the dressers and, and the stylists need to remember that it's, they need to emphasize the clothing for the designer. Not the accessories, the I see what you're saying. Not the accessories, it's not about the shoes, it's not about the belts, it's more about the clothing. Yeah. And, and so those are more supporting them. pieces. Yeah, and those are supporting pieces. And sometimes that, can create an issue if they decide to put too many layers, then the outfit might not go in time, or unfortunately, sometimes the things can be put on improperly. Okay, so like when you're doing, all right, let's say television. Yes. Um, if you're doing a televised event, you can add some more accessories. Are there yes, concerns when you're doing there? Doing televised since it's live, you can put whatever you want because the person is just wearing it for one time. Uh, you just got to make sure it fits properly, it needs to be tailored, if they need double stick tape, you need to make sure they have double stick tape, you need to make sure that the client is uh, comfortable in the outfit they're wearing, and also uh, the main thing is that it's photographed nicely, so don't put something that it's not going to photograph well in the client. Especially oh yeah, and I have seen photos and I wonder, I, 
I think it happened more in the 80s, Emily, and I'll get back on track in a quick second, but have you seen the photos where you can see through the outfit because yeah, of the lights? Oh yeah, or they're wearing stripes and it doesn't photograph well and you're on television, certain colors just don't come off to me. You know, so. and, and that's why we have stylists. That, those are important right. things that you don't know until you see it on film and then you say, oh. Right, and then when you're working on a, let's say a music video, you have more time. So you can overly layered, you can overly style. And usually music videos, they want to be a little bit more out there and you have more time. So um, sometimes in the, in the middle of shooting a video, the client might decide they don't like that outfit, they don't like the jewelry or the sunglasses, and you might have to actually run out and purchase more items in order to change the whole look. Oh. So that's more like a work in process. Oh, okay. So like if you're doing a fashion show, you already have the look, it's already set for the day of show. But when you're doing um, music videos, it's a little bit more um, creative, you know, you have more time, more leeway in order to change. And quite often they're dancing and they're moving around. Right. So, so you're not going to have anything too fussy though either, right? Or No, but remember with the music video, they stop. No. It's not continuous. So you stop, <laughs> you, know, you can fix the outfit, you can change the outfit. But that's why they look so good. Yeah, they look good all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like hearing about these differences. I'm, I'm going to continue with that. Um, mm -hmm. In the introduction, you've worked in showrooms, right. um, you've worked with boutiques and stores. I, I'm so sorry, I don't really understand, I guess, what a showroom is. And, and with the showroom, who's coming? Who's coming to that showroom? Well, a showroom is uh, a place where the designers displays their line of clothing. It can be the uh, collection for the season. Plus they also uh, have the collection from the previous season, which is called, um, um, it's called, oh, I forgot the word at the moment, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, and it's called, it, and yeah, and they, well, they have uh, buyers come in to look at the collection and then the buyers decide whether or not they want the collections for their stores. Um, depending where the store is located, uh, it's what the designer will demonstrate to the stores. If the store is in the West Coast, they're gonna buy certain type of items, certain colors, certain uh, part of the collection. If it's the stores in the East Coast, it, they will show them different types of clothing because people in the East Coast dress um, differently. It also depends if, uh, if the client is uh, needs the clothing for specific um, occasions. It could be for a gala event. If it's maybe, let's say, a dinner or if it's for work, then it's gonna be more corporate. But it all depends on where the buyer's coming from. And then the designer decides what type of clothing they're showing them. So when you say the designer decides what kind of clothing, like if I go into a store, all the clothing is out, this is the way it looks. So maybe with a showroom, are you saying that they, they change the showroom knowing someone's coming in to look at them? They might pull some items and hide them in the back so the client doesn't see them. And also, uh, they have like mini shows, so they'll have models come out oh. and do a little runway show for the client so the client can see how the clothing flows and also so they can uh, take photographs of the models in the clothing. And then what they might also do is have the uh, outfits worn on different models. Let's say one model might be dark hair, another model might be blonde, 
one model might be shorter, a little bit taller, so they can see how the clothing fits on different body types and also with different coloring. And then oh, they can figure okay. out the accessories also. They'll do a belt, they'll do a jacket, they'll switch it around just so they can get a better feel of the line. And also uh, the person who's there buying the collection can also um, learn how to sell it themselves at the store to their clients. I see. And that's that's during market week is what it's that's called. during market week yes which usually takes place right after fashion week after fashion week the clothing goes back to the showroom and then the designer starts uh, having appointments to uh, try and sell the line to different buyers okay that's that's amazing to me and i i have not experienced that that is just not in my wheelhouse so thank you for explaining that i Right. I think that's amazing, but it's almost like little private showings. Yes, it is private showings. It is. Oh. It can have a range from two models to four models, sometimes more than one model. Some clients will do the uh, appointments every hour, so it's a mini show every hour. Um, wow. Others do it randomly, not by appointment. But they're very targeted. I think what I'm hearing is they're very targeted in what they're showing them because they don't want to waste their time. No, they don't want to waste their time. So they're not going to show something to a, a client that they know isn't going to buy that item because then it's a waste of time yeah. and energy because it's a, you know. Yeah. Now you've worked internationally. You worked yeah. during Paris Fashion Week and you were referred by friends to a designer there. Um, what was your role? Um, at that fashion show in Paris Fashion Week, and how does that role differ than, let's say, at New York Fashion Week? Well, the first time I went to work at, during uh, Paris Fashion Week, I was referred by a friend to work with a designer who just got accepted into the uh, uh, culture syndicate. So, um, the, the witch, the, the couture's? Couture. Yes. And what is that? I'm sorry. Can you, <laughs> I'm sorry. What is that? Well, if you're going to, um, when you design for couture, you need to be accepted into couture. It's not like anyone can just go and put a label on their clothing and say it's couture. There's, um, it's by certain specifications and that you, you basically, um, you have to apply for it and get accepted by the people who are in charge, you know? Um, so this was, wow. uh, the two new designers were displaying their, collection to the syndicate and other people who were coming to the show. And since they were new, they really did not have any idea that um, they needed dressers to do the fashion show. So I was there to help them produce backstage. So I had to pull um, some people that we knew that were coming to see the show to help us dress the models. And then I had to help them set up the backstage area because they didn't have things, they had things like uh, thrown over the chairs, they didn't have them on racks and they were, um, sharing models and shoes and they didn't realize that things needed to be lined up so it was easier for people to put things on as they went out. They didn't understand that it was a much quicker process than a photo shoot. Well, they're designers. You know, production yeah. is a whole nother job. That's, right. you and know. Newbies, they had no one to really guide them so I was there. It was a great experience. I It was fun and we pulled it off and uh, the designers have gone further on and I've gone back to Paris to help them at different shows and we've gone from different venues. The venues have gotten bigger and uh, right now one of them has his own boutique in Paris. So, Wow. And so each time, do you think that they were doing some of the things that you were um, telling them to do and yes. they had that pretty progress. They got PR firms, they got backstage production people to help them out. 
they had dressers. So yeah, they progressed. Wow. Well, and, and, and in thinking about managing, let's say a backstage, um, I, I immediately start thinking about like, uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and I'm going to put it up on Facebook after this. I didn't want to, I was going to do something fun and bring up a little, like, here's our, you know, but um, a picture of it. But the back of house, the costuming, can you explain mm -hmm. to me that process and how many people are you dealing with for okay, the Thanksgiving um, Day Parade? Well, the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade is uh, a tradition. It was started by the employees of Macy's, so it's Macy's employees and family and friends, and it happens every year. Uh, the Macy's employees come in from all over the United States to participate in the parade. And uh, we have different sections, of course. You have the balloons, and uh, you also have the clowns, and then you have special characters, and also children. So what I do is, right now, I help supervise the uh, balloon handlers, and balloon handlers each have uh, um, overalls that they wear and the color is different according to which balloon they're helping handle. So it's up on a shelf is one color, if it's McDonald's is another color. If you're dealing with uh, Santa Claus then it's a different color. They also get gloves and hats and um, depending on where the balloon is on the parade route is when the people have to show up and then we have to help them get dressed. They're uh, directed to buses, and these buses take them uptown to the beginning of the parade. Oh, and so they're not, they actually have to take a whole bus there? This is yes. like a big system then? Yes, it's a big system. There's a lot of communication. There's a lot of people with headphones, um, different lists. They prepare for months. Uh, we start preparing that week many days in advance, setting things up. There's signs everywhere guiding people. Um, it's very difficult but I love doing it because it's become a tradition it's the beginning of the holidays uh, the only problem is since there's so many people involved and people are getting dressed sometimes the people get excited and they don't want to leave the room so you have to be very diplomatic and try to guide them to the exit so they can leave and um, and some of the participants are CEOs and higher-ups in Macy's so they don't always like to listen to suggestions, so you have to be, you know, kind of guide them and be nice and polite and just make Give sure you don't that. have controls while you're guiding them to get on the bus, please, because the parade needs to start by a certain time. That's, am that's amazing. So let's say mm -hmm. Elf on the Shelf is first and you have 10 overalls and you notice as they're going to the bus, eight overalls are gone. Because right. I'm sure and you're having more than one, you know, at a time, but what do you do when people are missing? Well, we keep track. The dresser who's in charge of each rack, um, or many racks, and sometimes the balloons are quite large, so it's more than one rack. Uh, they need to keep track of a list, and they let us know, well, you know, there's like four people missing or six people missing, and depending on the size of the balloon, uh, they need to decide whether or not the balloon can go out because you need a certain amount of handlers in order to handle the balloons because they're quite large. And oh. uh, if for by chance if there aren't enough people, they will go to another balloon and pull people to move over to the other balloon so they can, otherwise the balloon won't be able to go into the parade. Wow. So there is, there is a lot. There's a lot of coordination. There's a lot yes, of communication. And yeah, that sounds like production to me. 
yeah a lot, a lot of communication and you and you know setting up the day before is very it takes many hours we're there for many hours and it, it, everything has to be done specific in a certain way just to make sure that you know for crowd control and so everyone has the info they need so they know where to go and um Easy to navigate. Just run around the room and make sure, you know, put out the fires, as you say. Yeah. Sometimes people don't, they don't submit the correct size for their overall. So then we have to go and try and find a larger size in the correct color, because remember it's by color and do it in a nice way. And then we have to pin up their overalls because sometimes they're too long. So we have to make sure we have to hem. But we do it with right. pen, but we do it with tape. Wow, that's, we'll that's very close to fashion week right there. It is, exactly, you know, except we're dealing with um, normal people, they're not models. Well, the last time, like I mentioned earlier, that we saw each other was February mm-hmm. um, fashion week. You were heading back to Puerto Rico. I know that you guys had had earthquakes before you came, and then um, the virus, uh, COVID-19 was coming when you left. Right. Um, how are you doing? How is everybody in Puerto Rico? Can I mean, did you guys well, get a stay-at-home order? What happened? Yes. Well, when, um, unfortunately, when the COVID hit, people um, from the earthquakes are still living in 10 cities. They still don't, don't have any, you know, they don't have their homes. Their homes are still crumbled. Um, because the island is, has a lot of elderly people and we get a lot of tourists from all over the world. We, the governor decided to put a stay at home order quite quickly in order to keep the disease hitting the island. So uh, unfortunately we had, uh, there was a salsa festival and there was a man who came in from Panama by um, Miami and he knew he was sick and he went to the festival. Uh which wasn't good. And then from the cruise ships, we had, uh, I think, a couple of, of Italians who had the disease, and they were the first three COVID uh, casualties on the island. And because, oh. of that, yeah, because of that, they put implemented a stay-at-home order. We had a curfew, which is from, uh, it started at from five to nine, and then now it's five to seven. We still have a curfew. And uh, they take your temperature when you arrive at the airport. It's also done, it's done manually, but it's also done with infrared cameras and it's done by the National Guard. Wow. And if you, let's say if you're a, a tourist and you're going to a hotel, if you're, you know, have a temperature, they make you stay quarantined for two weeks. If you live here, they just make you, you know, quarantine at home for two weeks. Wow. Yeah, we've heard of that. Like Hawaii, I think if you get there, you have to quarantine for two weeks, no matter what. Right, yeah, um, you can go to the beaches and you have to get your food, um, you know, taken to you. You can't go to, but nothing's really open yet. I mean, with the stores slowly started opening, restaurants, it's just takeout. The same thing with bars. The beaches right now are open, but only for exercising. So you can go for walks, you can run, you can go in for swimming, but you can't really hang out at the beach. Right. Unfortunately. Um, and uh, and I think next week the stores, the uh, smaller stores will be opening because right now it's just the major department stores are open. But you and your family, everybody's good? Yes. Luckily, we're all okay. I have um, many of my family, either they're nurses or EMT workers. So oh. it, you know, it's a little bit nerve wracking sometimes, but they've all been tested whenever they needed to be tested and everyone's, everyone's negative so far. So. Wow. 
world. And please thank them for everything that they do from all of us. I mean, it just, it, I, it's not enough, but yeah, please I thank know. them for us. No. Uh, well, my son is my right hand helping me today, and um, he's going to let me know, Hayden, um, do we have questions today? Okay, I've got two that were sent in early, and then anybody watching live, we can go and ahead and answer those. I was trying to look, and honestly, guys, I'm just not very good at it looking while I'm on here, so we'll respond to those um, later. Emily's very good about it. Um, here's a question. Are the shows held, oh, are the shows in Paris held in tents as like New York or a single venue? Um, like New York now we're at. Yeah, well, they're not held in tents and they're like New York, they're held in different venues throughout the city. And the only difference is the, in, in Paris is the buildings are so beautiful and the architecture is amazing. The fashion shows just have a different vibe to them because you're in these beautiful buildings and I feel like the people are a little bit more artistic. They have more, well, it's Paris still. And, uh, <laughs> but in different venues. And uh, one thing I like is that they have a lot of smaller shows of, for like the up and coming designers and they come from all over the world. So I feel like I, I get to see more uh, different, uh, I get to see different shows from different countries. So you get to feel a vibe of everything. And so when I come back home to New York, I have those visions in my head, which when I'm working with a designer, even if it's fashion week, I already know what's coming up. So I feel like I can help them in a way with like guiding them like, oh, you know, this is the new look, maybe we should try it this way. So I already, and that helps a lot when you're working. But yeah. Fashion Week is a little bit different also because there, it's a bit, um, it's a bit more open. When you go to the shows, uh, people are more accepting. They're friendlier. I mean, that's been my experience. I don't know what's anyone else's well, experience has been. And I think maybe a little bit, I'm New York, we tend to be aggressive. Um, yes, we are. And it, <laughs> and there you have it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a New Yorker, so I know. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit aggressive. It's a different attitude. But, yeah, but both cities have their own beauty. Right. Yeah. Oh, I know. Absolutely. It's honestly, I, I went and worked a couple events in Chicago and yeah. Chicago has these beautiful, beautiful buildings. And I just, it, I was amazed. I had no idea. So there are all kinds of um, places like this. And uh, I think I, it does, they all have their own beauty, kind yeah. of, yeah, their mm -hmm. own thing. Um, well, here's another question. One thing is that fashion is universal. I feel that fashion is universal, you know, so where, wherever you go, if you're into fashion, you feel, you know, you're, you're accepted because you're all interested in the same, you have the same passion for clothing or for art. Yeah, and we can tell a lot about each other by what we're wearing, not necessarily in a judgmental way, just, yeah. you know, if I'm, I'm coming from yoga, I'm wearing yoga pants, you know, so I'm not, I'm not going out to a dinner. If I'm wearing a ball gown, maybe I'm going to a gala. Right. <laughs> it will indicate to you what it is that I am doing. <laughs> um, oh, Emily, how has being bilingual been helpful in your career? Well, being bilingual has helped me a lot because when I work with uh, BC Guala in Houston, Barcelona, Sometimes the uh, people they bring in from Spain um, don't speak English, so I can help with the translation, and uh, especially backstage. 
when they want to um, give instructions to some of the dressers on how things need to be styled or what type of shoe is going with what, if there's a shoe swap or things like that. And when I travel, it helps me in, in like, I understand French, but I don't speak it very well. I They speak it quite fast, so I get nervous, you know, and you get a little bit intimidated by the way they speak. So I have a tendency not to try to speak it while I'm there. But um, if I ask people if they know Spanish, usually they do so that I can communicate with them in Spanish. That's if they don't speak English. Yeah. So it has helped me a lot. Yeah, and those are the romance languages. So luckily you, you have a little bit of a leg up on there. Um, yeah. I found them. And like you said, it's, it's much easier to understand than to speak a foreign language, mm -hmm. I find. Um, but it really does matter <laughs> um, to make sure that people understand what it is that you're saying, because sometimes they'll say, yes, yes, I understand. And they don't. And what you were saying was very important. So that's, I am running out of time. <laughs> so oh. wow, we could talk forever. I was starting to just relax into it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to stop there and more questions I will send to you. But thank you so okay. much for being here, Emily, and speaking with us from Puerto Rico. Yes. We'll put up more pictures. And um, I, I'm just completely jealous about the beaches, but mm -hmm. you can be jealous about my mountains in Colorado. <laughs> yes, I will. And hopefully I'll see you in September. Yes, I'm hoping so. Let's see what happens. Yes, okay. Thank you, Emily. You're welcome. Goodbye, everyone. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And thank you all for attending this week's Behind Fashion episode from Shore to Shore with guest Emily Suarez. You can find her on Instagram on E Suarez, S U A R E Z N Y C. And I will have that up on my website as well. And I'll put all of this information on Facebook. Next week, I'll be joined by Martin Casella to discuss Behind Fashion's entrance. See you all next week, Wednesday, June 17th, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. Pacific Coast, and 5 p.m. British Summertime. This conversation has been recorded, and a link will be sent to you in a few days. If you have not received it, simply ask. Thank you, and see you next week.